Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Maz, pediatric speech-language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist with the First Steps Program in Louisville, Kentucky. How are you, Laura? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I said I had a productive day, so that was good. I did, too, but it's made me a little tired. So (laughs) I hope we can pep it up and have a great show. It feels like forever since we've... Been on together, and maybe this week we're getting back on track and can move forward. All right, today is Sunday, November 7th at 6 p.m., so if you're listening now, you're listening live, and we are so excited you joined us. If you would like to call in with a question about your child's late talking, I will be more than happy to give you that call-in number. It is 1-718-766-4332, but just in case we don't have any callers, we have several great questions from parents who are regular readers of my website at teachmetotalk.com or who've sent me an email. Um, So we're going to get started on those. Kate, should I read the first one, or do you want to read it? Um, I do have it. Here it is. I'll read it. How about that? Okay. Go ahead. Okay. It says, Hi, Laura. I have a four-year-old son who exhibited some early signs of being on the autism spectrum. spectrum. He was very aggressive, obsessed with doors, and a late talker. He is very, very social, but sometimes gets into kids' faces. I think she means that he's kind of invading their personal space. Anyway, fast forward a few years, and he is doing wonderfully. We still have him in speech and OT. He still has a bit of receptive uh, receptive speech delay and some sensory issues. But he is in a regular school with his peers and fits right in. He is definitely not on the spectrum like his pediatrician had me so worried about. I also have a 22-month-old son who seemed completely opposite when he was born. He has been so easy, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think easy. Yeah. <laughs> easy babies, yeah. That's not always great, is it? Yeah, I mean, a Good. lot of parents seem to have that um, idea. He's so easy, and I think sometimes that's that's because they're not very demanding children. But in any case, she says, um, mm, he's too easy. I got he's, you off. Sorry, I won't that's, interrupt that's okay. anymore. <laughs> he too has followed the same path as my oldest in being speech-delayed, only his case is much worse. He has yet to speak a single word. Now he's 22 months. He doesn't point except when we read books. He has no way of telling me what he wants except to grunt. He has poor eye contact and isn't too interested in other kids. He sometimes plays with his older brother, but not near as much as you would expect. He doesn't try to stay away from others, but just doesn't seem that interested. He likes to cuddle with me a lot. He plays with cars appropriately and even has a sound effect. And he puts his toy phone up to his ear but beyond that he doesn't have any pretend play yet in a nutshell he has a lot of the red flags of being on the spectrum he is where this here is where my question comes in um i already had a lot of answers already but here's the question he has been, <laughs> he has been in now what is eci I think they mean early childhood intervention, but I don't know what state she's in, but lots of those states have different They do use of, that, ECI. So yeah, just, uh, yeah. They're their answer to first steps. They're first steps, yeah. Mm-hmm, which is just Kentucky's name for our early intervention program. So he's in the early intervention program wherever he is. Since he yeah. has been 17 months old, I feel like that is not intensive enough therapy. Unfortunately, my my insurance is not that great, and I am paying almost $500 a month for my older son's therapy. So I feel like my options are to either stop my older son's speech and OT and put my youngest in private therapy or put them both in therapy and go into major debt. I feel guilty because I don't feel like I'm doing everything I can for my youngest. Is early childhood intervention at that age enough? I keep reading about how early intervention is key and feel like I am wasting valuable time. Any thoughts? By the way, my youngest dad does have an appointment with a pediatric neurologist, but is not for six months. That's her her email. I don't know if it's email or... Her question, yeah. Question. I, I think it was on the website. I think that's 
where I pulled this from. And I feel so sorry for this mom because she feels like I don't want to take any services away from my four-year-old because we were so worried about him and now he's doing great. But now I've got this 22-month-old who sounds like he might have been even a little more severely delayed than the four-year-old was when he was this age. So she feels like she's stuck with what do I do and she asks us is the frequency enough and I don't feel like we can really answer that do you Kate well because we, we don't, don't really know, how... know what it is yeah yeah we yeah. don't know if he's getting weekly we don't know if he's getting monthly and you know since I've been doing the conferences I've really started to realize what uh, differences can be from state to state with how they administer their early intervention program. And I really thought, okay, we've got a pretty good idea of this because we've both worked for Indiana's program and Kentucky's program, but lots of states are doing different things now, especially with all the budgetary issues that states are facing. Um, So we have no idea if he's getting monthly services, if it's just from, you know, or weekly services, or if he's just getting one therapist once a week versus several therapists. I feel like she would have said if he were having any more than maybe a DI, um, I think she would have said he's in speech too. It kind of sounds like to me he's getting one service just through early intervention and it may not be, it may not be weekly. Is that kind of how you interpreted that? I think that's probably a reasonable assumption, but we're guessing here because she doesn't really say so maybe once we finish the question, she can email you back later and let you know, well, what exactly does he get? But, yeah, and when we say just so people who um, aren't familiar with our DI, um, that's what they're called in Kentucky. That's what I am, a developmental interventionist. Some um, in Indiana, they were developmental therapists. Ohio has a different term for them. I don't know if you you know, lots of states call it special instructors. Right. Ohio calls it that because I've done conferences there. Missouri that I've done conferences in calls it special instructors. I'm about to go to Louisiana, and that's what they call their uh, developmental intervention as the special instructors. So since those three states have that, um, it might be called that in more places or their early interventionists. So it's, it's, to me, it just sounded like he's just getting that and she's concerned. And so I would say that he does needs speech at some point. And two, you never know how the quality of the service is. My guess would be he's not making very much progress, uh, which that's not a stretch for me to say that, is it? Did you feel from her um, information that he was really doing well in therapy? Uh, I don't think anything she says implies that. I think she, right. you know, the fact that she still has this this big concern about him, and he's right. been in since 17 months. She's not saying now he has 10 words. He has no words. Um, right. Yeah, I get the impression that she, I mean, I don't want to read into that either, but that she still is very concerned about him and doesn't feel in her heart that he's getting enough. Or what, even if if he were, it's not necessarily working the way she'd like to see it working. Exactly. So I think that tells her in and of itself that she needs to bump it up, whether that would be that she talks with her service coordinator about increasing the frequency of therapy, whether that might be adding an additional service. And again, we don't know the constraints of that state program. That might not even be a possibility. But in our state and in some states that I've recently met therapists in, if you can justify adding another service, that's what I would certainly recommend for him right away. Um, Isn't it interesting, Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say that, um, you know, this is a federal program implemented on a state level, and it does seem that each state has kind of their interpretation of how what that law requires and how they have to meet their... um, the regulations and but right. in in Kentucky and in Indiana there is um recourse for families who feel like their kids aren't getting enough. I will say like as you said initially the trend is towards less service not more. <laughs> and right. so I mean you know we keep hearing in Kentucky it's getting harder to get additional units and and I think that's true but if in fact there is some way for her to um start the process of trying to get additional units through early intervention, 
that would be the way to go because she it's either free or at a very reduced cost as opposed to what she's getting for her older son, which is $500 a month of therapy. Right. Um, so anything and, she can get for would, prevention is a bonus. That's exactly what I would do. So I would start with that, with trying to get more services and, ju- you know, and really whatever you have to say to justify that, you, you know, saying I'm concerned that he has early markers for autism. We already have this upcoming appointment. Our older son had similar issues. You know, I think she has – we haven't seen very much progress in therapy, if that indeed is the case. And so she certainly would have some reasons – in my mind, to be able to start that process to request um, increased frequency either with the person she has or oftentimes just by adding another service is a way to get those additional uh, that additional time. And it does not sound like he's getting speech to me it, because she doesn't say that specifically. She says he's in early intervention. So to me, just from dealing with these, these other state programs, I think she means that she's just got DI going on. She just has that early interventionist, which if you have an early interventionist or DI like Kate, that's okay, but chances are (laughs) she doesn't have somebody that's really, really great with working on language and who's really taken the time to get additional tricks and additional strategies and techniques to work with a kid uh, as she's described her 22-month-old to be, so she may just be getting kind of humdrum therapy. And not having someone who's really in there working with ways that we know um, to, that are more successful with uh, facilitating that receptive and expressive language. So another idea for her might be to get a new therapist and really ask for someone um, ask for someone else because if she's not satisfied with what's going on, it could be that a change in approach might also help um, this little guy move along a little bit. So that's another idea she might want to try. I would never want to tell her to take away services from the four-year-old. However, (laughs) if he's doing a lot better and she feels like, okay, we're going to see how all this kind of kicks in, that may be something else that she might want to pursue if she can't get speech through her state program is to look at speech with a private person for the 22-month-old. But with that being said, she still needs to get somebody who is great with babies. And sometimes when parents do the whole private thing and they end up going to a therapist who really specializes in preschool children or elementary school-age children and they don't get someone with lots of experience with babies, and then they're kind of back in the same position. They're getting services, but it's not exactly what they need. So she would still need to be sure, even if she's paying privately, that she gets someone that specializes in birth to three because it is a whole different ball game. Don't you agree with that, Kate? Absolutely. I think there are a few who do it all, but most kind of specialize right. either in under three or over three, which is more kind of school-oriented therapy. Even if it's done in a clinic, they work on the sorts of things that school-aged children are going to work on, and they might be really great at it, but that doesn't mean they have much experience because working with that 22-month-old is very different than working with her 4-year-old on an uh, on a on up, you know. So, right. yeah, I think that's great advice to be very cautious to make sure she gets somebody really good. Um, and, you know, generally those people are with early intervention, but sometimes they're... Sometimes they're not because they, some state, again, some state programs have drastically cut their rates. So maybe people are venturing out and, and maybe just have... Um, private practices that don't involve that. But again, the kicker is getting somebody with lots of experience with birth to three. Even if they're doing older kids too, you want it to be where that's one of their specialties so that they don't try to water down things that are appropriate for older kids and make it work for a toddler because chances are he's going to be just as miserable (laughs) with that person as well. And then you're paying for every minute of it. So you are going to want to be really careful about that. And Um, let me me caution also, Laura, not just experience. I think experience certainly goes a long way, but also to um, ask around, talk to people that she meets at the clinic or wherever she takes her four-year-old, ask other mothers, um, ask other therapists, ask her interventionist, ask anybody who has any clue about um, therapy circles because sometimes um, we veterans out there with 
many, many, many years' experience aren't so great. Um, so, you know, because you might get a referral on somebody who has 20 years' experience, and you think, wow. So go with um, experience, word of mouth, what people say about them. Their reputation. Just, uh, their their yeah. general reputation, because there are some folks yeah. who have been doing it two, three, four years, they have great instincts, tons of energy, they're wonderful. Then there are right. some who've been doing it 25 and they're tired and need to retire. So <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily all about experience, but that, you know, yeah. you wouldn't want somebody who had never worked with two-year-olds before. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Reputation is going to be the key. And you want to hear words like fun and my kid loved her and she was great and she taught me so much. You want to hear lots of those positive kinds of things uh, about that person, really specific kind of personality traits plus how good she was clinically. The other thing I want to say about this mom is she's done this before. She's been through this with her four-year-old, and he's doing great now, according to what she said. So some of this we want to put right back on mom and say, kick it in. Do lots of the things that you felt like were successful with your four-year-old. Get that really going with the baby now. And I think this happens a lot. I've seen it where I see multiple children in a family. I might have seen the older one, and then I see a younger one. And sometimes, um, sometimes the second one is more severe. Sometimes they look that way because mom and dad have been so hyper-focused on the older one that you start to do the right kinds of things and um, things fall into place. But I'm certainly not saying that this mom's judgment, that that's just clouded it because she can see her little boy and I certainly cannot. But She's been through this before, and so my advice to her would be really kick it in gear with the baby and do lots of playtime with him, one-on-one time, where they're really doing lots of those fun little social games that we talk about all the time on here, Kate. And she says he's not really so much interested in other kids, and I wouldn't really care about that at this point. I would care about how interested he is with you. And you say that he likes to cuddle a lot, so really use that connection that he seems to want with you in getting lots of those early little games going, like peekaboo and like pat-a-cake and all those fun little routines, um, and work on that. She didn't say how much he understood language, but my guess would be that he's not following lots of directions, so that's another thing I would work on is really making sure that he understands the familiar routines um, that they do every day and that he's starting to do some really simple things. Put your cup in the sink, go get your shoes, bring Mommy a book, give me the car. I would also hope that he would let Mom join him in play. She said he does like to play cars so that that's not just an isolated play experience that he has, that he lets Mom participate in that and that she can use that to start to really work on both receptive and expressive language and with expressively you know, get she said he has a car sound. If he'll do that, have him imitate some other little sound effect kind of things when they're playing cars. She does not say that the early interventionist is working on signing, and so that's certainly something that I would implement. What did she say? Did she say he does point or doesn't point? I think she, she said only to pictures in books or when they're reading. It doesn't sound like he points. Yeah. And I the question on my assessment tool is. Yeah. Does he point to um, request out-of-reach objects. In other words, is he pointing up on the counter when he wants that cup right. of juice, or is he, and it, he's not. She doesn't say if yeah. he waves. I'd wonder about that. That We're just kind of looking at early it. gestures and what, what does right. he understand um, as far as using gestures. doesn't sound like he uses pointing as a gesture, really. Right, and so... That's certainly those early gestures, waving bye-bye, clapping, giving five, doing all those early little routines that lots of babies do right as they're turning a year old. You would really want to start to target a lot of those things, too, because those are important. Those are kind of precursors to uh, really using more advanced gestures to get what he wants. If he can do several of those things, then work on signs. And, again, that was my initial point. It didn't sound like his therapist is working on signs but I would certainly, if he can do those prerequisite gestures, start to work on some of those things too. Because even if he's not great with intent yet, like with doing that pointing, if she can get him to do some 
some signs and understand that he has to do something to get something that'll help that whole um kind of cognitive process of oh gosh I need to request things move along and signs are often a really good way to get that going but some kids really do need to be able to do three four five other little gestures to really um, demonstrate that they understand how to use their little bodies to get something or, or you know use kind of gestures in a symbolic way and that's exactly what words are so that would be a place to start, too. And if all of these things sound to this mom like nothing that her therapist is working on, then my second advice of get a new therapist, she needs to implement that tomorrow. <laughs> because those are the kinds of things that I think that the therapist should be working on and talking about with her. And it could be that the therapist is working on it, but she hasn't really thought about it in that way. So she could also just have a heart-to-heart with her and say, listen, I'm really worried about him. You've got to tell me what you're thinking about him clinically. I've got to be sure that I'm learning a lot of this stuff, too, because, you know, we're not seeing a lot of this going on with him, and I'm getting really, really worried, and I don't know what else I can do. So I think a heart-to-heart with the current therapist is in order as well, don't you? I do. I will say, again, it all depends who she has, what she knows, and how comfortable she is in her profession as to what she may say. You know, I mean, um, she may totally back off of that and say, oh, I'm not qualified to say, or she may weigh in and let her know what she's thinking. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, certainly I would want to know what she thought, and that will give her an idea of what she knows. I will say so many states have gone towards um, consultative models of therapy. Right. And particularly in a state where she isn't getting specialized um, providers that she doesn't have an OT for him or a speech therapist for him, we're assuming, by her early intervention uh, reference. So um, she may have somebody who's coming in and talking to her as much or more than she's actually engaging or trying to provide therapy to her child. And so, and, and and in doing so, may be exactly doing exactly what her early intervention program tells her to do. On the other hand, we know that sometimes telling people what to do um, is a lot easier said than done. And frankly, until we've had su- successes with that particular child, we may not know exactly what to do. I think it's hard to just give it's very hard to know general, unless, yeah. yeah. Yeah, unless you can see what works with a kid, and I really only feel like I can do that with the the, um, clients I actually see unless I do it first and implement the strategy first and play with them first and see how those things work. And so, again, we're not saying that it can't be done just because, of course, Parents tell us they listen to our show and they read my website and watch the DVDs and get great results with their kids from that, just from that advice. But they're in. They've heard us talk about it ad nauseum sometimes. You know, sometimes (laughs) I feel like we say the same stuff week after week after week. And with the DVDs, they're watching it, so they're seeing a pretty good model of that. So it's not that it can't be done just by kind of talking about it, but it, it's so much better when you can actually see it implemented with your child and see what works and what doesn't work. So hopefully um, if she's had that kind of therapist, she can say to her, listen, I want you to be a little bit more hands-on here and show me some of these things that you've been telling me to do and let's see how it works when you do it or watch me do it, and if I'm doing it wrong, tell me. Tell me what I should be doing better. Help me fix it. So um, that certainly is another very good point, that the therapist may be being a little too hands-off and not really uh, being concrete enough with mom in showing her how she could be working on language with him all the time. She could be in a state, too, where they're doing like Michigan. Remember those moms that have called us from Michigan that they're just taking them to a center Mm -hmm. and moms aren't really participating in services. Mm-hmm. So, again, Laura, without Laura, knowing... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, um, they may not be participating oh, in services. Let, yes. Let, well, this is... That's why I was um, without words for a moment. Here's what I want to say. Um, I think that... Um, you talk about in your um, conferences when you're really going in in depth 
stuff about you know speech and language development, and I don't want to give away your conference, but one of the points you make that I think is so important is that the foundation for communication um, is social connection or, or responsiveness in a young child, and it does sound like from what she says that is something that really is a problem for her little boy, that, you know, his eye contact is, is pretty weak. He's fairly um, what I would call aloof as far as uh, mm-hmm. connecting with other children, other people. He does seem to have a nice, uh, affectionate, loving, he likes to cuddle with mommy. But, um, you know, I've certainly seen kids at this age who are very loving with their mommies but yet don't really connect socially with their mommies. Right. And I don't know that that's this case. But my point is, she really needs to start there at that social right. connectedness. Um, how do you phrase it in your conference? Because I don't want to paraphrase. What's the foundation first? <laughs> the social stuff. They've got the mom has to have a social connection with him. And oh, I didn't she, know if you had a little buzz term for it or not. So okay, and I do <laughs> think that a lot of therapists kind of miss that. You know, what I mean, totally. They, they, or it's they, hard for them to talk about it. Yeah. They'll they'll know that it's missing, but they really don't know how to quantify it, or they're they're afraid to talk to moms about it. Or frankly, sometimes a therapist starts a hard conversation like that with a mom, and a mom says something like, "What are you talking about? He's social," and then it kind of shuts down the therapist into saying, "Well, this is what I mean by this. You know, let's look at what he does versus where we would want him to be." And so those little key social um, skill milestones that I talk about a lot in the conference, you know, that some therapists are really uncomfortable having those conversations with moms and with starting there, or even if they start, the moms kind of shut down, so they, the therapist ends up thinking, oh, well, she's not buying this, so I'm it, not going to focus be very, on it. very difficult, but this mom yeah. seems to get that based on what she said, how yeah. she describes him. She knows the eye contact is weak. She knows he right. isn't really terribly connected with people in his environment, including his four-year-old brother. You know, there's some right. interaction, but not a lot. So I don't know if she has um, already purchased the DVDs, but I would say get Teach Me to Talk right now because I think that's the, the basic introduction yeah. to how do you engage a child who isn't easily engaged. Um and maybe um, teach me to listen and obey one because that talks a lot about basic receptive language things and how do you address that in, in dealing with a very young child. But, you know, one, I'd say teach me to talk one is the basic, and that introduces using signs, which I think is great advice for her. Um, one thing I'd say to her uh, would be, you know, I think if she's not already doing those things, she absolutely needs to get educated immediately about how to do those things. And all of us varying, vary in ability level or naturalness with those things, but I am convinced everybody can learn how to be really, really social with a young child and how to engage a child effectively. And your um, Teach Me to Talk DVD does a great job of showing it. And I think moms, especially those moms who aren't quite as natural, but all moms, if you see it, you think, I can do that. You know? Right. You know, yeah, it's and not you can just imitate hard. it. It may not be the and most even natural if you feel thing. weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even if you feel weird about it, just do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because don't you have that happen with a lot of moms, Kate? They'll say, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can be that way. And then they start just making it making themselves play that way, and before you know it, it does feel more natural to them. They've gotten pretty good at it, and they also yeah. at the same time are seeing the results, and it's highly reinforcing when right. you're seeing, oh, my gosh, he stayed with He's me for responding. 10 minutes. His eyes were yeah. twinkling. He was looking right at me. I mean, it does fuel right. the fire. So, And if this mom is more of a reader than a DVD person, although I still think Teach Me to Talk is a great tool, if she needs more specific ideas for that, Teach Me to Play With You is a great therapy manual, and she can look at more ideas for games. And that tool really is for moms who say, okay, I've tried to be really fun and playful, but I need more specific ideas because he's not really even ready to sign yet. He's not really staying with me even even when I'm super fun, tell me how to do that so that I can continue those little games. And if she's a reader, 
teach me to play with you would be a good idea. And uh, lots of therapists are buying that. It's I, I can hardly even take enough with me to conferences because it's um, therapists like that it's such a concrete tool so that they have those games. And, you know, we just throw around the term social games, social games, social games. And sometimes I'll say, like patty cake, like peekaboo, like give me five. But there are nearly 25 different little games in that first chapter that you can play with your children. And some of us need more of a roadmap and more directions, specific directions. Say this, do this. If he doesn't respond, try this. And so that might be a tool for this mom as well. Uh, but Teach Me to Talk is still the best idea because she could actually see it. And because she's had her older son in therapy, I would hope that she's had an opportunity to kind of know some of these things. She just needs to maybe present it in a little different way for the baby than she's currently working on with a four-year-old. Well, and it did sound like they were slightly, you know, they're kind of different kids, so that right. maybe the four-year-old was not as difficult to engage, and he, right. came, you know, he responded uh, more quickly or more. Um, uh, I don't know what the word would be. Got well, just qualitatively. Thinking. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, just there's a qualitative difference. He might, she might have to work a lot harder with that 22-month-old than she ever had to work with the four-year-old when he was that same age to get the same response. And there are certainly children on my caseload through the years and now and on Kate's that you think, okay, I am going to break a sweat here trying to get this kid to include me in his game. But I am going to stand on my head. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, whoop it up, make it fun enough to let him let me in his little world. And that's, again, harder therapy to do than almost any other thing that you would do with a kid is to really help establish a social connection with a child who is not very interested in engaging. And it does sound like he wants to be with mommy, but again, like you pointed out, Kate, it may not be in an overly social way. It may just be that he wants to feel her arms around him or that he wants to play with her hair or that he just wants to snuggle in um, and not really be about looking at her face and um, as you like to say, getting all twinkly-eyed and really being um, connected in that sense. So Doing things to get her attention, yeah. Right, so, right. And all those things are really prerequisites to communication. One other thing I thought about this, and this I guess maybe would come more appropriately or perhaps after mom is certain that she's doing, has learned herself what works for her child, and that's, you know, that's a, Tough order to fill, but even if she lived in the most generous state, even if she had twice her income, everybody kind of does what they can do, and and the responsibility in the end falls on the parents' shoulders, and oftentimes that needs the mom, not always, but sometimes there are dads who are great, but a lot of times it is the moms who are there more often or more involved with the kids, and so they do it. So I understand that's, we, we know that's a big deal, we're moms too, but that's the reality is that, you know, yeah. she really needs to get in the trenches and, and start working herself. You've said that. Anyway, once she's done that and she's comfortable, wow, look at these things that are working. Look at these social routines I've established. Look at how he's responding. She might want to think about, I don't know where this woman lives, but if there's a university near her, she may want to hire a college student who's in, in early childhood education or a speech-language pathology student um, that she could pay ten or fifteen dollars an hour, you know, as opposed to the ninety plus dollars an hour she's going to pay a therapist. If she's, you know, if there are times when she thinks, boy, this would be a great time for her, her little boy to be playing, and and he's not because she's busy with the reality of being mom and can't be, you know, on the floor all yeah. the time. She might find somebody that she could essentially train, somebody who has good instincts and loves kids, young and lots of energy, but doesn't necessarily know how to engage her child. But when once she does, she can, you know, teach that student or that individual. The other thought would be family members. If she's fortunate enough to have a mom who's who's interested in in helping or fa- other family members help teach them what works and so that, you know, he's not only learning as he goes and getting more and more 
quote-unquote therapy, even if it is with grandma or a student or whomever, um, he's also broadening his social circles. You know what I mean? He's he's encouraged mm-hmm. to make connections with his grandma or the, the yeah. student or the whatever, and all that is very good for a child who's, who presents like this. So those are just thoughts of other things she might look into. Yeah, that was a good idea. And so hopefully some of these ideas will have helped her. That mom's name is Kim, and I hope she's listened to the podcast. I'm going to uh, put another little note on the website. So hopefully she's returned and heard our ideas here. And if you are listening, Kim, and you, we have totally missed the boat on what you were asking or incorrectly assumed some things about him, um, shoot us an email back and or leave a comment on the website would be the best thing. And then we'll follow up with your follow-up questions. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This is from a mom that wrote us a few or uh, I don't know if she, if we talked about this on the podcast a few months ago. I'm not really sure. And my memory's not so great now with knowing what, I used to be able to remember these things, but not so much anymore. But she says, hi, Laura, since I emailed a while ago, my son has started using a lot of sign language. He is still only saying, in quotes, one word, but he uses that word for several different objects. He will be two in a few days, but he was born eight weeks early. His receptive language is good. He can follow two-step directions, name 11 body parts on himself, and in another um, comment to me after this, she clarified that by naming 11 body parts, she meant pointing when she asks, where's your eye? He can point to his eyes. So he can do that with 11 different body parts. That's good. Uh, She says he really does seem to understand most of what we say. My question is, I guess, do his signs count in terms of word use? We read that he should know so many words by this age and that age, but does signing count? He can currently sign eight words. Does that count as speaking eight words? Thanks so much, Christine. You know, on one hand, I want to really be a big cheerleader for this mom that she has really started using signing with him. Um, And I wonder if she says because he uses signs eight words, if he uses those words all day long because she says he's using a lot of sign language. So when I first read that, didn't you think he probably had 20 or 30 signs? Yeah, yeah. Eight is not what I would consider a lot with a child who's almost two, but maybe it is that. All day long he's using more and he's using eat and he's using mine and he's using go, which are words that kids can use all day long. Right, In that respect, I could see saying... He's signing a lot and right. not being 30 <laughs> words. Yeah. Right. And so on one hand, I want to say congratulations. That is awesome. You have obviously, if if that's the case and he's using those signs all day, you have picked great first signs that he can really initiate and use on his own. And he's using them for lots of different things. However, don't, um, let's see. Number one, don't have the bar so low that eight signs really does count as a lot because I don't think a kid signs a lot again until he has probably 30. I never say that a kid is, you know, signing a lot until he has more than eight. So, again, not to burst your bubble, but just raise the bar a little bit and keep teaching him more and keep expanding his sign vocabulary so that he has lots of things. The other thing that I would want to say that, again, not at the risk of bursting your bubble, but we ultimately want kids to talk. So on one hand, while we are so excited about those signs, and that is great progress, is a sign the same as a word on a developmental chart in the strictest sense of the word? My answer would be no. And do you feel the same way about that, Kate? Well... Yes and no. That's a hard, hard. Yeah, it's hard because yeah, I am, on the one hand, as you said, thrilled that he's signing and using eight uh, spontaneously. Um, that's great. But if you're talking about expressive language skills, they are talking about the number of words he says. Says right, not signs. Says even though right. I think that the fact that he's signing is a great sign. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> And all, does definitely give you an idea of his expressive <laughs> um, communication skills, but they really mean words. So yeah. I think I'd have to go with he has one word and he's kind of generalizing that. Yeah, and so we may not even count that one because he's using it for lots of different objects. I wonder if she means that he says duh for everything, you know, I something like that. I think that's maybe what she means. Where, 
it's a default, and that's mm-hmm. kind of his little sound sequence. And he's trying, uh, but thank goodness you've got some signs going so that you know more of what he means, <laughs> excuse me, than his one word. I would think this is the kind of mom that really um, I would love to work with because she's so optimistic with, oh, my gosh, she's got eight signs, and he's got a word, but he used it for everything. And so, again, I love working with moms like that because they are so gung-ho and really, 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 really into what their kids are doing and notice everything. But sometimes with moms you have to um, really kind of say, let's um, be sure that we are still looking objectively in that still working we you know need to get some more variability in those word attempts and that certainly will come as they learn more signs i would also probably caution her to kind of quit the whole counting thing because it sounds like she might be getting a little bit obsessed with numbers here and truth be told he's really you know really even even when we look at that really basic milestone of children need 50 words by the time did she say he's about to be two mm-hmm. yeah he's about to be two that really is a bottom um rung for normal so children with typically developing language at two have two to three hundred words and so that i'm sure is again um really crushes a lot of moms when you talk about it in that way. But you almost have to say it so that they don't get so caught up in counting every single word all the time. Uh, And so that, again, I don't know that I'm explaining this very well. You want to still be objective at the same time as that you are cheerleading. And sometimes moms are really looking for, oh, it's not that bad, he's not that delayed, blah, 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 blah. And they kind of get so comfortable with, okay, he's supposed to have 50 words and he's got 30, so that's close to 50, so I'm not really going to worry anymore. And then you say, but really, children who are doing pretty well with language at two have two to 300 words. And again, while I would never want to purposefully hurt a mom's feelings, you almost have to take the whole quick counting words out of it so that they won't try to constantly shore up where their kid is. Does that make sense? It does to me. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And on a positive note, let's say this. Um, if what she says is accurate, and I trust that it is because it sounds like she's really right. um, very focused on how her child is. measured, doing. yeah. Yeah, and what her child is doing. The fact that his receptive language skills sound like they're very good is a great sign. I mean, is a great it's a indicator. Great yeah. Um, we love to see that. Um, you know, whether a child has zero words or zero signs, when we begin to engage children and they respond to what we say and what we consider to be appropriate way, we're thinking, okay, we have half the puzzle. And it's a real important right. half of the puzzle. It's so. a big, important half. It's the <laughs> yeah. foundation. And if he did not have that, it wouldn't matter with all these other things um, because he has to be able to understand words before he can ever have a prayer of using them to communicate. So it's a big, big, big part, and that is phenomenal that his receptive language is so good. Oh, I know what I wanted to say, too, about the prematurity thing. He was two months premature, but, again, we do not correct for prematurity after a child turns two because the developmental experts out there say that any catch-up growth that could have happened or should happen really should kind of happen before a kid is two. And so if a child is language delayed at that second birthday, we don't count that as just being due to prematurity, even though it probably that does probably have a big part of it. But he's really now beyond... Um, well, the point where, we don't correct where the experts think yeah. they're going to catch up. So. Right, right. So he it's a true expressive language delay at this point. And regardless, you know, it, it and that expressive language delay could be due to other things. To me, it sounds like he's probably has some motor planning issues going on because he has that one kind of default word for everything. So to me, again, I kind of see motor planning or look at motor planning as the root cause of lots of 
issues with language delays and speech language delays with toddlers, but other therapists might have different philosophical opinions about that. But that whole, the way she kind of describes him, he sounds like a smart apraxic kid to me. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a <laughs> more professional way to say it. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I would definitely is, be thinking along those lines, of course. I've been trained by you, and I probably have very similar philosophies about this, but, you know, um, it certainly it doesn't be. count for Jesus' right. kid who understands what's said to him, who uses right. one word for any word he's going to try and say. Um, right. It does account, you know, it would be, if we were working with this child, we'd be looking at, well, how are his fine motor skills? Well, is he doing any facial grimacing or groping? Is he... You know, there are certainly some other things that are indicators, but he has the basics right there. Yeah, right there. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, we can't see him, so we don't know that for sure. But um, I would keep pushing those signs. I would also start to do lots of high-energy affect-based play where you're really working on not so much words but animal sounds, play sounds, those little exclamatory words like wow and uh-oh and woo and wee and all those fun little play words to see if you can't get some other kinds of um, word approximations or different sounds than you might be hearing when you have those word attempts going. That's certainly something I would pursue. Um, I've got a DVD that talks about that, too. It's Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phonological Disorders. So if I were this mom, if she's not gotten that already, that's something that I would certainly get so that you can look at lots of those early kinds of play activities that might facilitate um, more... um, Sounds And when I say sounds, I don't mean that she's targeting specific consonant or vowel sounds. I mean environmental sounds in play, animal sounds, those little play sounds, car noises, those kinds of things. Because those kinds of words are made up of the same consonants and vowels that we use to produce other quote-unquote real words. And so if he starts to expand the kinds of consonants and vowels that he his variety and again we don't target one sound at a time in therapy with toddlers we target that in play sounds and in trying to facilitate real words which she's already doing those signs but if she'll add working on lots of those exclamatory things she might hear more than just his little default Sound And the reason that works so well is we take the focus off talking when it's just really, really fun, high-energy, developmentally appropriate play, and the kid almost forgets that he's doing it. And so that's certainly um, something that I would do if I were his therapist. And by that I mean, you know, when we're playing with cars, we're saying beep, beep, and vroom, and go, 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 and all kinds of little play sounds with that. So, again, we're targeting words with that are made up of different consonants and vowels, but it doesn't seem like that to toddlers. And again, we hear sometimes newer sounds in those contexts than we do even in real words. So that's so I would say they're very easy places to start, and they do give them the foundational skills to move on to words, but those are the things that I can get kids to, to imitate initially and I may try a few words, but usually those aren't the successes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she's doing great with the signs. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and she wants to keep on with those signs, and she wants to really emphasize um, those words and keep doing that, but add those other little play words too because that is often where we hear those first little imitations. Um, The we and the uh uh-oh and the wow and the... (laughs) Yeah, and if he watches Diego, oh, man, you know, or um, any little show. He's a little boy. Pow and boom usually go a long way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so any of those little sounds that he could say in play, but Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia, that DVD has a whole section on that, on using those little play sounds and uh, how to work those into play. So that might be a resource for that mom if she doesn't know what to do about that. And I, it sounds like he's in speech. She doesn't really say that. Doesn't really not, say it, does she? Uh-uh. If she is, she if doesn't. he isn't, she needs to sign him up. Yeah, tomorrow. 
Uh-huh. But it sounds like he probably is. She probably said that in the first email, but unfortunately I just I get so much email and again, my memory at forty four is not like it was in my thirties. I could have probably remembered, Oh yeah, she emailed us about a year ago and said blah 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 blah. So <laughs> Uh, I didn't go back and look that up. I wish that I would have. But, Christine, if you are listening and you want to give us more details about that, um, give us a follow-up to that on the website, and, again, we will be glad to answer it on a subsequent show. Okay, we only have 10 minutes left, and this one is an easy one. So let's move on to that third question. Shall I do it? Go ahead. That sounds great. It says, Thank you for a great website. I have a 27-month-old little boy who is not adding final consonants to many of his words. He has a a good vocabulary with over 200 words and can put sentences together. For example, I go Michael's school, that's his brother, but he'll say ha for hop and ha, oh, ha for hop and hot and ca for cat. So he's leaving off the final consonant sounds of those words. His receptive language skills are excellent, so I don't think it's a hearing issue. I can probably understand 40% of what he's saying. Do you think I should wait until he's three, or do you think I should get him checked out earlier? I'm a psychologist myself, so I know how important early intervention is, but also know that that makes me a bit more paranoid than usual. Your (laughs) advice is much appreciated. Sometimes when you know a lot, it can be kind of scary. (laughs) Oh, it really can. It can drive you crazy. You know, and I responded to this mom on the website because it was an easy one to say, do not worry about him yet because it sounds like his language is coming along great. I would think if he can say a sentence like, I go Michael's school, he has well over 200 words because that kind of – Sentence structure usually doesn't happen even until children, you know, again, have several hundred words. So I think that 200 words is probably a low estimate. But, again, it doesn't really matter because he's using those longer sentences. By 27 months old, the minimum that we would want a child to be doing is three-word phrases. And so he certainly is doing full sentences with, I go Michael school, it's four words. He has you know, the pronoun there, he has a verb there, he's, you know, again, doing super with that. What she's really concerned about is speech intelligibility, and the main thing is leaving those final consonants off, and that really doesn't become problematic or an error, per se, until children are closer to three. So at 27 months, there is no speech pathologist in the world, I dare say, that would qualify him for therapy just based on that because many, many, many children do not have final consonants until they approach that third birthday. So what she should do for for that example is when he says, you know, oh, it's hot or it's hot, she should say, yes, it is very hot and really Uh, Again, not over-exaggerate that final consonant, but punch it just a little. You know, again, she would not want to say, it's hot, (laughs) or anything like that that would, you know, sound so atypical and so abnormal that the little boy would think, what in the world is my mother doing? (laughs) But she should certainly, you know, punch it just a little, so there's a little added emphasis on there. But again, that's uh, some parents get so carried away with that kind of over-cueing. And it usually happens when it's at the beginning. Don't you hear parents, Kate, that for bubble, they'll say, tell me, buh, 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 bubble. (laughs) Matt, don't do that. That's (laughs) That's an odd way to model. Uh, So you don't want to over-cue like that, but that mom should just emphasize those ending sounds just a little bit. Chances are he will fix those on his own as he gets closer to three, as he continues to mature uh, developmentally. She said he under, she understands 40% of what he's saying. The real um, indicators on that for intelligibility, parents should understand about 50% of what a child turning two says and then 90% of what a child turning three says. And so if... Um, he does seem a little bit on the low end of that as far as what his mom can understand. Uh, But again, she's a psychologist, so you don't know if she's being super picky about saying 40%. You know what I mean? Don't you have Uh some moms, Kate, that really underestimate? They say, I don't ever understand anything, and the kid says eight or nine things, and the mom gets six or seven of those. But because she doesn't get one or two, she thinks it's a lot lower than it really is. 
Right. That it may also be the opposite be problem. By the fact that he is very verbal in a in a great, right. you know, very typical way. He's making sentences, and that does make it a little harder to decipher what a child is saying as opposed to using one or two words together. Right. It's, you get more time to figure it out, basically. You know, when they string them all exactly. together, you go, what? You know. <laughs> yeah, what was that? And just, so I would. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would just keep really talking with him and doing your best to interpret what he's saying and he sounds you know I wouldn't get I would not go for an assessment at this point um, for him because it sounds like he's moving right along if she becomes overly you know again gets overly concerned about that and that might not be too hard for her to do since she's a psychologist she could have someone take a look at him but I oh gosh I just hardly think anybody would qualify him for um, well, not age really twenty-seven months. He might get private therapy because they, I think, sometimes apply slightly different standards. But the truth is that he probably is going to correct these over time. And if he doesn't, he's really not ready for the kind of therapy that's right. probably going to be the most effective with this. So, you know, time is on her side. And if by three, three and a half, four, she is still having a big tr- uh, trouble understanding them then they have time to get in there and get some speech and clean it up, you know. And it, yeah, and and, and you make a very good point sense. about, yeah, about developmentally ready. You know, when I mm-hmm. went to graduate school, if anybody had said that we were going to work on articulation with a two-year-old, we would have just laughed and laughed and laughed and thought that was so funny because we would have said cognitively children aren't really ready to work on sounds or articulation um, you know, put your tongue in this place, do this with your mouth until they're over three. And in my heart of hearts, I still really believe that. Even though we cue lots of sounds and certainly do our little tricks and our strategies and our techniques in therapy with two-year-olds, and that's not to say that it won't work, but really children are are able to attend to that kind of therapy and that kind of direction when they're a little older, and that would be after three. And so I feel like she's got plenty of time just continue to facilitate his language, continue to model what he should have said correctly with just a little bit of emphasis on the sound that he's left off or the sound that he's used in the wrong spot. Um, And chances are this is just an issue that development will take care of. And I would say if she's targeting those final consonant sounds, um, Certain things that kind of lend themselves to using one word, like maybe doing puzzles or one of the things that I do it with sometimes is, um, and I'm not suggesting she go buy this toy, but, you know, the little Fisher-Price mail uh, truck that has the pictures and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the word of what or the letter right. that it starts with. I don't necessarily do the letters, but I do encourage kids to imitate the word for it. And uh, my point is when he's... Um, imitating or using one word it's going to be easier to target you know the t on hat as opposed to go get your hat at the door you know right <laughs> or mommy yeah, i need hard. my hat it's cold so if she's doing things um you know kind of um directed play Take kind of things where she's sitting with him and she's really thinking maybe i can get a few more t's on those words um, do things that encourage him to request by using one word or label a pe- puzzle piece or a picture or something, you know, using one word because she can. It's easier to target those sounds in that context. But but don't yeah. don't be nervous about this. You're going to have to find something else to worry about. I think because <laughs> he's doing well, and and the odds are this will sound a lot better in six months. Whether whether you had therapy or you didn't, whether you addressed it specifically or you didn't, yeah, I think he's going to, you know, get better that, with time. That's what I think, too. And if she is really interested in what sounds would come <clears throat> in first, she would, and this is a speech therapy thing, you really want to work on sounds like P's, T's, or K's at the ends of words because those are unvoiced consonants. Those typically come in first, and they're a lot easier to work on. Wait, like well, say them again. P, what? T, and K. And the okay. reason why is, let's say if you were working on a word like would be at the end, what would a parent do? They would say, let's get in the tub. And but it really sounds more like a B-A, T-U-B-A, you know, tub or Before you know, long, we they're saying, something. I need to go to yeah. the tub. Yeah. 
because moms overemphasize that. And so really we should work on unvoiced consonants when we're working on final consonant sounds with little ones. So P's, T's, and K's. Yes, that's what I would recommend for that if she were going to do it at all. But honestly, she should just see what comes up in daily conversation and target those. And she's already given some great ones. You know, hop, hot, cat. The the example she gave were beautiful. So she could start with those and just, um, again, when it comes up in conversation, just recast it, as Dr. Caroline Bowen would say, and give him lots of models of the correct I think, oh, yes, that is the cowboy's hat. I love the hat. Look, let's put the hat on you and just model it that way. And chances are, like you've said, in six months it will be better uh, whether she's worked on it or not because maturation makes us all look good (laughs) when we're talking about early intervention. We (laughs) hope, anyway. Not necessarily the wrinkles (laughs) on the face, yeah. Okay, well, we got through all three of those questions. If you are a mom and have stuck in here with us through this whole show and have a question for us, please email that to me at laura at teachmetotalk.com or better yet, put it on the website at teachmetotalk.com so other parents can benefit from reading that because chances are if you are concerned about it in your child, another mom or dad who might be reading would be concerned too. So I always prefer to have those um on the website, so hopefully parents will um, send us some comments, or better yet, even call next week. We love to have live callers, and we haven't had a real live mom in a long time, so we would absolutely love that for next week's show. That's it for today. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay. (laughs) That's it for today. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.